This is the Village Church Q&A podcast, where our goal is to create digital, shareable, and helpful content to make disciples who will go, grow, and overcome. Welcome back to the Village Church Q&A podcast. Pastor Tim and Pastor Michael in the studio. Listeners, some of you know this because you are local with us. Some of you are beyond our normal local outreach, and so you aren't aware. But recently, we did a dealing with your church hurt class at our church, and out of that came several questions that we're going to be dealing with for the next few sessions. Here is our first question, Michael. What is the best church leadership structure? So churches have different leadership structures. Let's talk through those and then deal with, okay, what do we feel is the best one of the many? Yeah. So one of the primary motivations for this question is feeling like you were in a structure that just didn't work. It didn't provide the protective accountability mechanisms that you needed. And you can think of Willow Creek structure. Was there something wrong in the structure that enabled, you know, Bill Hybels, right? You can mm-hmm. think about um, Harvest Bible Chapel now that that's, you know, unfolding okay. before us, right? Public knowledge now. What was it about the structure that enabled that? There's two sides to this. Number one is like the legitimate question, like what is the best structure? And then number two is even if you have a good structure, does this stuff still happen? So mm-hmm. let's start with the second one. It's really, you know, dark of me to say this, but you can have the greatest Polity, which is a it's a church polity is what you're talking for, about. Uh, the Governance. politics of government of how mm-hmm. it all comes together. You know, you can have the best structure and the best constitution and the best elders and the best staff, but if you have one person who wants to sin, you know, none of those things are going to stop it. Nothing will stop it, which is heartbreaking because it truly is. You're in a church, you love your church, you love your friends. You love your God. It's your ministry. And one person who wants to do something stupid can shatter the entire infrastructure of all of that. It can make you question, should I be here? Should I engage? Should I dig in? Should I walk away? This is what I do, Matt. I mean, you know, it's just right. the ripple effect questions. is it's massive. So on the first you know, side of this question is no infrastructure will stop somebody who wants to sin. Now, on the other side, though, I do think there's a few things that are really important. So let's start with number one. Someone or some group of people need to be vigilant in protecting who can be in those shoes. That's correct. We hire slowly. I mean, yes. even when we hire, oftentimes we have like a temporary period where we're like, well, let's see if this works, you mm-hmm. know? But our eyes are open. I mean, we're watching. The paranoia I have of a wolf is high. Yeah. And it's high from past experience. I mean, I've, I've watched churches. I've experienced things. And I'm like, I don't ever want to submit our body to that. Right. So on one level, polity aside, organizational structures aside, someone has to be on the on guard. And this is one of the responsibilities of elders. This is yes, what we do. It sure is. We get above the fray and we are watching and watching. And you might call that paranoid, but I would call it no, we we are defending a beautiful city from invaders. Right. And the people need to thrive and somebody has to be on those front lines. Mm-hmm. But not just that, the hope is that we have also released multiple people, our members, to be looking for threats. That's exactly right. Which, by the way, doesn't mean we're always like, 
bummers. It just means we always have our eyes open, ears open. Yeah. So there's a, another side of things, which is um, how, what's the best way to run a church? Well, it really depends. Like, I really appreciate that the Bible does not describe a specific way to run a church, Correct. which is why you have Methodists and Presbyterians and non-denoms and this and that, whatever. I do have some warning signs, like for me, that I would just submit to people and say, maybe, maybe go a different direction. So here's like one warning sign. When there's not a plurality of elders accountable to each other, sure, call the guy lead pastor, senior pastor, don't care at all. Um, but as long as he does not have an abnormal amount of authority over the elder board, and as we've seen as of recent, the pastor should be able to should. be fired at any time by the elders. You know? yeah, exactly. So, mm-hmm. Whatever you do, whatever you call them, whether you call them elders or shepherds or overseers or bishops, I don't care what you call them, but there should be a group of men designated for the protection of the church, vested with the authority to release somebody. Yes. That would be pretty significant to me. I think this is a really important thing in terms of structure. Every time God does anything— he always puts point leaders in charge. Exactly. So the Trinity, Yep. it's the Father. Father. In Israel, you had Abraham, and then you had Moses, and you had prophets, but at the end of the day, you had a king. Yeah. And in the religious structure, there was a chief priest. Absolutely. Like, implemented by law. You know, yes. when you get to the New Testament, and you have Jesus, the three, and the twelve. There are structures. Uh, you have marriage. The man is the Head leader. The, yeah. You have the church in Jerusalem in Acts 15. James is the leader. leader. You have Timothy. Timothy is the leader. leader you have, in Ephesus, yeah. Everywhere you go, everything God touches from the Trinity itself, and everything that functions well does have some level of a point person responsible to lead. But that point person is not a lone ranger. They are part right. of a leadership team, and they're designated with a unique responsibility mm. to lead. I have a responsibility to lead as the lead pastor, but I do not have more authority as an elder than our elders. Right. Like, I can't unilaterally do stuff mm-hmm. apart from our elders. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I mean, I can, but like— <laughs> You can, but you'd get in trouble. <laughs> i get in trouble pretty quickly, you know? And therein is like, you could have all the constitutions you want, but if the yes. people aren't abiding by it, yes, I think on that level, just to recognize that point leadership is a really good thing. I get concerned for churches that have such a plurality that there's no point leader. Right. There's a point where you have a church of 200 and you have 20 elders. Yeah. There's too many there to hold anyone accountable. Yeah. That's unrealistic number. Absolutely. And— they never grow. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a good way or a bad way other than, other than to say without point leadership, things don't actually grow. Even in marriage, we have leadership. Right. You know what I mean? So everything God touches has leadership. So I, I think that's an important thing to say, like, who's who's kind of in charge of yeah. moving this thing forward and bringing the right people together? And that's a fair question. And But that leadership is not one of unique authority, but unique responsibility. responsibility. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about the Constitution, the paperwork, the legal structure of the organization. Great. So the written structure should never contradict Scripture, number one, and the written structure should sustain biblical principles of leadership. That right. being said, a constitution is a legal document. Most people don't actually understand this. If <laughs> for some reason we didn't have the government overseeing us, we wouldn't have a constitution. Like yeah. there's nowhere in the Bible where it says have bylaws have a, and constitution. Yeah. You know, like it's good to write down your doctrinal statements, don't get me wrong, but we do have to recognize that constitutions exist by law. If we want the benefits of a 501c3 and tax exemption and all that other stuff, we got to play by the rules, which means you need a president, a vice president, a secretary, a treasurer. You need a, sure. a board. You have to have board meetings and board minutes. And and if the government wants to audit you, you got to be able to produce those. And yep. I think first and foremost, we have to understand that it is it is a legal document. We do it for the law, but it does provide protection for us because 
So think about it, this is funny. <laughs> in a lot of conservative churches, right? They are conservative Republicans, majority-wise, <laughs> right? And what do the Republicans love? The Constitution. The Constitution, Like yeah. our original documents, like we just have a passion for it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's interesting in the evangelical American church how passionate we are about our Constitution. We have to remember, though, that the Constitution is really important. It is a guideline for us and it helps us, et cetera. It should never contradict the Bible. And if it doesn't work for us, then we need to go to work to change it. Yeah. Meaning it's got to serve the mission of the church within the biblical boundaries of the church, which we just did. We yeah, changed we our constitution because yeah. it didn't serve what we were doing in our context. It did, right. you know, 42 years ago. It did actually 15 years ago, but it didn't today. So yeah. I would say with the constitution, though, the constitution has to really clearly give you the legal parameters and protections, give crystal clarity on your doctrine. And then number three would be it should uphold and mandate accountability and right biblical leadership structures for your elders and the people. Yeah. How you apply those, that's different. But minimally, that should be there. But as we'll go back, like we said at the beginning, you could have the best constitution in the world. Yeah. I mean, our lawyer said it was the gold standard of church constitutions, (laughs) but it doesn't matter if you and I are idiots. Right. If we are, then, you know, that constitution doesn't do anything other than to give the elders the authority to say, okay, we're stepping in. Yep. Yep. Let's talk two other levels. I want to talk about the top-down CEO version of church. That's one category. And then the other category I want to talk about is congregational run, elder run, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. One of my biggest concerns, and this is so part and parcel with our culture blinding us from seeing the most obvious things. So in a church where in the org chart, the senior pastor is at the top. Yeah. Here's what that means. Everybody lives for the senior pastor. Right. That drives me nuts. Yeah. And that's one of those things where in the business world. In the business world, that's common. It's totally understandable. But in the church— we do what's called an inverted org chart. Now, whether yes. people call it that or not, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. If the senior pastor and the elders do not have a self-identity that we are the lowest people yes. here to serve, here to equip and to release people, everything we do is for the people. Mm-hmm. And that's a Jesus model. That's a biblical model yeah. that Jesus and the disciples were servants. Totally. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life. And that's what the leadership... If you want to say at the top, really, we would say at the bottom. At the bottom, yeah. The mindset is my life is to give my life for the betterment of this organization, the betterment of my my brothers and sisters here in this church. My goal Amen. is to serve them, to release them, to equip them. My goal is not to have them serve me. Yep. Yeah, and I think so many churches are structured to fill the pastor up when the structure should be that the pastor should empty himself. Yes. And those are very different paradigms. So— Tim and I, like we, you and I have to have a very different mindset as elders when we walk into our church and our staff. Yeah. I'm not saying this to congratulate myself. And if it sounds like that, I'm so sorry. We went off to Bible college 30 some years ago and we were in a church of about a thousand and the senior pastor, the, the lead pastor, and, and this is multi, multiple pastor church, I'm following behind him on a Sunday morning and he didn't know I was there. There was a piece of paper on the sidewalk. He stopped and picked it up. And that told me that he is a servant. Andy Stanley talks about that in multiple yeah. podcasts and some of his writings. But the senior pastor has to see himself, and we use this terminology, as the owner that is responsible for everything functioning well. And not that he, you know, would, you know, call up the janitor, hey, there's a piece of paper up here and you need to pick this up. No, he he stopped and picked it up because 
That's what a servant does. Mm, that's good. That's really good. When you and I walk into this building, our job is to serve. Mm-hmm. It is not to demand respect. It is not to demand people do what we say. It is to release people. That's a fine tension. And the crazy thing is, the respect that I had for him didn't go down. It went up. Right? Isn't that crazy? Wow. Yep. Because he's not below that. Yep. And I think that's huge. And that's where you want to see the inverted org chart. It doesn't mean, though, that your pastor has to be setting up and tearing down everything. No, you know, like, not, no. The pastor knows what he should and shouldn't do, you know, and and again, like, I'm just looking for a pastor who doesn't believe he's the most important person yes. in the church. I'm looking for a pastor who believes he's here to equip and release people. The inverted org chart is very big. I want to kill the CEO mindset, honestly, yes. in churches forever. That's one side. The other side of it is— Talk about the congregational yeah, side. So— my two cents, and I'm not going to mandate anyone to agree with me on this. I'm not going to like pick a fight. I have great friends who love congregational church. I find them to be inefficient, not biblical, and very, very hard as pastors to deal with. You yeah. get stuck with a whole bunch of people who don't have all the information, making decisions about things that they don't really know about all the right. time. And there's a danger, though. So that's like that's the extreme danger. But we've, we have watched church after church after church do nothing for a long time because the congregation had to vote on every roll of every toilet paper. Every single thing. You know? Yeah, on that was my hand, story. My real life story. Congregational meeting. They had a 30-minute discussion whether the janitor had the permission to buy either one case of toilet paper or two cases of toilet paper. I literally would have turned to my resignation at that moment. And I thought, (laughs) we are wasting time on the most insignificant thing I've ever heard of. Yep. So on the other hand, though, you know, people are afraid, well, if we give all authority to the elders, how do we know they're not going to abuse it? Because then absolute power corrupts absolutely. Sure. And and so I agree that the extremes for me are one man having all the power— and the congregation having all the power. Yeah, those are the two extremes. Right. The plurality of a multiplicity of elders with equal authority, I believe, is the middle ground. I agree. So we actually do have congregational votes, but uh, they are very rare, and they're for big things that protect us as elders. Mm-hmm. And all of those things require bringing the church into all the information right. over extended periods of prayer. But that's just a unique thing we do in our context. But I think the elder plurality— is the middle ground. It's not the extreme. And that holds the tension between, you know, the the singular guy and then the congregation. That's right. I also personally just have such a high value for getting things done. Like, here's my, like, little inner motto. Like, if the Holy Spirit says to do it, I want to have the least amount of red tape between the move of That's the right, Holy Spirit and right action. But I also don't want to be free to move without accountability. You know, mm-hmm. the red tape is there to slow things down so that there is accountability. So what gives us the most amount of freedom to move as fast as we can with the highest amount of accountability and to respond to what the Spirit says? Like, do I need to get a congregational vote to go counsel with somebody? No. No. You know what I mean? There are levels that we, like, we just have to learn to trust the guys in the front line. And if they are caring for each other and hold each other accountable, it can be a really great thing. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it doesn't matter what model you have. You have people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? And, and um, you and me can both make this model very hard that we we lean into. Our model, just for what it's worth, is is we would call it elder-governed staff-led. And so right. on all big decisions of doctrine, vision, um, direction, uh, um, accountability, et cetera, the elders make decisions. We mm-hmm. each have unique responsibilities. Some of the, the finances come back. The budgets come back to the elders. We're elder-governed on a large level. Right. And technically, I'm hired out as the senior pastor to run the staff mm-hmm. in execution of 
what we decide as elders, if right. you will, under that board's authority. And so it's elder governed staff led, meaning our parameters have been given to us. We have the vision of the church, the goals that we've set and the budgets that have been given and the cultural distinctives that we live within. And as long as we stay within those fences, we have an unbelievable amount of freedom. Sure. And so that elder governed staff led approach, I think is really effective if they trust each other. That's right. But then again, that's also a requirement for congregational run <laughs> yes. and solo pastoral yeah. authority. You know what yeah, I mean? It's like right. it's only as good as the people. But I, I appreciate that the Bible has not prescribed in any one way. polity. You know, yeah. I do think, though, that there are better polities than others. Agreed. For sure. So I don't know. I, I've made some audible voice of the Holy Spirit would have to tell me, <laughs> go to a congregational run church or, hey, man, you're the guy. Whatever you yeah. say goes. Like Southern Baptist churches sometimes get me really concerned yeah. because they elevate their pastors to a level of authority that I you're don't. closer, buddy. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. It makes me nervous. You know what I mean? Yeah, I hear you. You know what I mean? I'm like, those. I know you've been there. So I've you, been there. I, I know. Can, and uh, it's just a different world. And then and the fact that a lot of them don't have elders, that just never made sense to yes. me. How the quote-unquote deacons or the whatever that's an right. impression, but disagree with anything? No, I actually think we're we're on the same page. Man, this is this is a day. Unique. What's happening? So we got another question, and we actually we have many questions that came out of this church hurt class. The next question we're going to be dealing with: Is it okay to stop tithing in my season of healing? Healing from church hurt. <laughs> <laughs> 